0: at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf.
1: Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today's topic is leadership trends for 2021 and beyond. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and work with those leaders to co-create a thriving future. Our work includes assisting leaders in navigating the disruptive trends and developing strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I'm delighted that joining us today is Christopher Washington, a regular guest on the show. So Dr. Christopher Washington is a tireless supporter of global leadership development, designer of accessible and relevant education, and champion of the role of universities in workforce development. He serves as the provost and executive vice president for academic affairs at Franklin University, a private nonprofit institute of higher education. Dr. Washington takes an active role in local community by serving on the board of International Visitors Council and on the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition, Ohio Advisory Council. He is currently a member of the Forbes Nonprofit Council and serves as the chair of the board of directors of the Washington-based Global Ties U.S. We're facing unprecedented changes in our world today. These changes range from geopolitical changes to the impact of the pandemic has had on everything, from how we work to technology accelerating and corresponding need to change leadership. Today, we'll talk about the top seven trends Christopher and I see for 2021 and beyond, and explore how we anticipate these trends playing out, the source of the trends, and the leadership competencies we think are required to successfully navigate them. While we can all point to the death toll from the pandemic and many other challenges that we have faced, I'd like to encourage us to start the year thinking about what's possible in 2021 and beyond. While we know that the pandemic is still raging as of the airing of the show at the end of 2020 and likely will be until we have sufficient immunity. With that said, while we're all suffering from the pandemic and many of us have lost loved ones, my invitation is to use the pain and loss to energize us to create a future that is better and stronger and more inclusive for everyone. We take that tone as we talk about the trends And Christopher and I will talk about what we see as the opportunity. And as Christopher and I were practicing for the conversation, we were both talking about where we are being optimistic in our current lives and looking forward. So let's start by creating the stage so our listeners understand what we were doing as we developed this. So, Christopher, can you share a little bit about what framed your thinking as we started?
2: Maureen, it's always a pleasure to be here with you. You know what frame my thinking is I'm an educational leader, and so I have to think about my own teams, the signals that are changing in the world that enable me to lead them effectively, the leaders I work with on a national and international level, and the challenges they face, and how I can communicate these signals to them, and also our students. How do we best prepare our students for a future world that's a little bit more volatile, complex, uncertain, and ambiguous? So it is those conditions and my willingness and interest to make sense of them that really drove us to identify these themes together.
1: And so you're significantly involved with the World Future Society. Yes. And also with Global Ties interacting through the State Department with leaders from around the world. So you're taking a global view and also a future view from a f- broad lens. Oh, absolutely. You know, working with my
2: team to determine what methods can help us make sense of these non-routine experiences that have disrupted organizations like Global Ties. Uh It was last year, just a year ago, we were able to commute people from their countries around the world to the U.S. to learn more about our democratic society, to learn more about how we do business, about our citizens and how we interact. Well, that program no longer can send people to the U.S. So what alternatives are available? Why can they not come anymore, right? And, and how can we achieve our goals in spite of their ability to not be able to travel to the U.S.? So it's those kinds of adaptations we've had to make.
1: So let's start with the first trend then, economic volatility impacting society in the workplace. Increased polarization on global sustainability and social justice issues impacting international relations and local communities. So how are we defining that? What are you seeing, first of all? There's a grab bag of issues here. There's a lot of things to
2: (laughs) talk about. Uh, you know, market, when you talk about economic volatility, for example, you, talk, uh, you have to go to the Financial Times, you have to go to Forbes. They're regularly discussing the impact of market volatility, the challenge with the added complexity of COVID and a second wave of that. The tech giants reporting disappointing quarterly earnings and whether or not the government's going to have a stimulus package, for example. Mm-hmm. So all of these factors interconnect and create complexities that we have to make sense of as they impinge
1: on our ability to make decisions in organizations and to lead our people. So economic volatility, I love that you talk about interconnections and global interconnections. I had a couple of observations just from the last week. So one is I participated in the A4S, the Accounting for Sustainability Summit last week and Ban Ki-moon, the former United Nations security general spoke. And he was talking about the importance of multilateralism and the U.S. returning to participating in solving some of the current challenges with decarbonization and restoring biodiversity. And specifically why we care about the climate is the impact it has on our businesses. Not that we don't also plan to be living on the planet and hoping that climate change isn't going to severely change our demographics and where and how we live. So 19 of the 20 hottest years on record have occurred in this century, and we're in 2020, Yes, right? So the last six years have been the warmest, and this year may even top the list according to Carbon Brief. So one, we're in a time that we're seeing disruption not only from a pandemic, but from a climate perspective that will impact everyone on the planet. We are also seeing people like Ban moon and His Royal Highness Prince Charles kicked off the A4S Summit. And he's the person who chartered this summit, I believe, six years ago. So we're seeing significant political leadership as well as cross-functional business, NGOs, government organizations all coming together to issue the call... For those kinds of changes and then I want to move to something from McKinsey so so I'm bouncing from Christopher talked about economics planet and then for business leaders the idea that we need new operating models and they need to be significantly more flexible so that as organizations are more uncertain and facing crisis, the way we run our organizations just has to change. So the duration of the crisis has been longer. It's already exceeded earlier predictions. It's going to continue to be longer. And so the elements of running an effective organization, we need to be considering how quickly we adapt to the multiple changes we're experiencing because by the time COVID's over, what's gonna be the next thing? Well, that's right. And, you know, Maureen, I'm in an educational institution, and
2: I think education is the canary in the coal mine for a Mm -hmm. lot of this. You know, we're seeing dramatic changes to our business model. Institutions that have had long-held traditions, 150, 200-year traditions, are now on the operating table, you know, with an acute illness. What do we do? How do we structure our finance? How do we attract students? You know, right now, many of these schools can't operate classes as usual. Mm -hmm. or provide the kind of supportive environments for campus experiences for students that have led to their success in life afterwards. You know, working from home, remote work or remote learning has taken the place of many of our on-site classes because of the pandemic. How have we adapted? How must we adapt? We have to have different models to operate effectively.
1: And Franklin was well-positioned because... You were one of the first to introduce rigorous online college education.
2: Absolutely. we went through many years of pilots and refinements, really focused our pedagogy and andragogy on the successful teaching of students so that they learn effectively. And so we were well suited when the pandemic hit to shift effectively to all online for our students.
1: And I want to say that's two decades now, right? That's 20-plus years that you've been doing this. I remember designing courses back in
2: 1999 (laughs) for online and then having the U.S. Department of Education involved with us through an early pilot in 2000, from 2000 to 2003, to verify that the learning outcomes and the methods we used were equivalent to what was happening in the classroom face-to-face.
1: And now many institutions are trying to make that pivot, or they've shifted a few classes But they haven't shifted the entire curriculum yet in the way that delivers the outcomes that Franklin has consistently delivered globally. All of this is indicative of what organizations of all types are facing
2: today and leaders of all types. How Mm -hmm. do we adapt to changing circumstances? What tools and technologies do we need to use? Mm -hmm. How do we equip our people to be effective in this new model? And education is especially challenged by it right now.
1: Well, yeah, because as we talked about as you came in was how are you navigating homeschool students? Because there are going to be a lot more of them we would anticipate. Not just
2: homeschool students, but everything that's impacted by a shift to more homeschooling. I imagine that home builders will have to adapt their design principles to the fact that we'll need more spaces in homes for learners and for offices, for remote workers. You know, what does that home look like? assuming that the new normal includes some aspect of remote work and remote learning.
1: And we're seeing home sales go up, which is interesting given the pandemic. We weren't sure they would go up or down, but they are going up and home prices are going up. So people who might have considered downsizing, especially if you've got two adults and children in the house all trying to learn at the same time. The other thing is, the shameless plug for the noise-canceling headphones. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, all of this has impacts on how individuals lead their organizations. Because mm-hmm. now you have a remote workforce that is multitasking at home. You have a new business model. You have to adapt to the conditions that lead to worthy performance of your workforce without having the regular opportunity to talk to them at the water cooler. I'd pull them together mm-hmm. in a meeting using new technologies, assuring that they have the technology and the ability to use them effectively. All of those are conditions that leaders have to consider, whether you're working for a for-profit or non-profit or in education.
1: So let's now move to the question of trust. And as our listeners, one of the things you'll hear is we're bouncing between these themes because they are so interconnected. Continued erosion of trust in societal institutions and a weakening of the principles that sustain those institutions. And I would say also, as we've continued to explore these topics, continued erosion of trust in individuals as well as institutions. Christopher, why don't you jump in and then I'll follow with some of the research.
2: Well, you know, this idea of trust is really essential. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to rely on each other. And group settings, whether we're talking about organizations, or even family life. Mm -hmm. And this erosion of trust is being driven by a number of factors. Many of Americans, for example, are divided on a lot of fundamental issues, and they're receiving their information and news sources and sources of truth from very different sources that oftentimes contradict or, or exist on some polarity. And when that happens, it's hard to really establish common ground, common purpose, common method. That makes it difficult for leaders to take action today.
1: You know, I did an interview a year ago, and we talked about people's unwillingness to take direction from a leader whose views are different or who may have physiological differences. So there was some unwillingness if people were of a different race or gender. But what stood out was the unwillingness to take guidance from a leader who had a different political view. And it was something like two-thirds of people didn't want to take direction from someone with a different political view, maybe as little as half. But if you add the different factors together, if you look different and you believe in different things, the probability that your employees will take direction from you is small. And that seems really unacceptable. For effective leaders, if leadership is the combination of leadership, followership, and the context, if followers aren't following because you view things differently, we're broken. Well, that's a very arbitrary
2: method of
1: determining
2: who you listen to or who you work with. Because, you know, the problems we face today, you mentioned the environment, for example, crosses borders. And when you cross borders, you're going to deal with people who look different than you. You're going to deal with people who have uh, different ideas, cultural norms, values. And these are the same people we need to be able to rely on to solve these very complex problems. I don't see them having this problem on International Space Station. You know, they work across cultures. They, their lives depend on mm-hmm. their ability to collaborate with one another. And I've written recently about the notion of having an out-of-orbit mindset to mm-hmm. inform and influence the kind of challenges, the kind of ways we approach challenges here on Earth, because there's a lot we can learn from astronauts.
1: Wonderful. So I need to read more of that. (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to read a little bit of some of the research. According to a wide-ranging new Pew Research study, adults age 18 to 29 stand out for their comparatively low level of trust in a number of areas. Around three-fourths, or 73% of adults, Under 30 believe that people just look out for themselves. So basically three-fourths of folks under the age of 30 don't trust folks. They think they're looking out for themselves. A similar share, 71%, say most people would try to take advantage of you if they get a chance to. And six in 10 say that most people can't be trusted.
2: (laughs) Interestingly. It doesn't provide a lot of uh, context for creative problem-solving, innovation, innovation. Improving the human condition, our collective status, if you distrust in that way, if you distrust others in that way and you're sort of unwilling. The pessimistic view does not serve us well. You know, it's optimism that has really been the seed for invention, for creation, for improvement of the human condition.
1: Yeah, There's a lot of research that says pessimism kills creativity and innovation and employee engagement. It's hard to be engaged and productive when you think the person sitting next to you is out to get you. Well, we are talking about leadership here. Individuals derive their energy from
2: their leaders oftentimes, and if that's true, your pessimism rubs off. You're less likely to have, again, creative solutions, innovations, and an ability to work with folks constructively to bring about a better state of affairs.
1: One of the other things that strikes me, and as I reflect on my own experiences, the rate of change and information instability. So new data coming daily, and let's use the pandemic as an example, when it started, the amount of scientific data was limited. So leaders were sharing the best information they had, which was incomplete. Every day we get new information And the scientists are revising the direction. And yet what I hear from people occasionally is, I don't trust him. He was wrong. I don't trust Dr. Fauci. He said this at the beginning. Well, of course, because the scientific data is continuing to accumulate. And so if we don't trust leaders who change their point of view when they get new information, then are we trusting leaders who are out of date? That seems risky.
2: One of my mentors many years ago said, Christopher and God, I trust. Everybody else bring the data. Mm -hmm. And now we have data being generated from everything that we touch. You know, our refrigerator is generating data. Our watches is generating bio data. Mm -hmm. You know, our phones. I think there's some estimate of 40 gigabytes or zegabytes, some large number that I can't even fandom of data Mm -hmm. being generated each day. And much of this data, if you're an organizational leader, there are many sources of it to inform the kind of decisions you need to make. To ignore that would be irresponsible in many regards. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the competencies that's critical for leaders today is to be really good at interpreting
1: data. Mm -hmm. And the learning mindset, the desire to continue to learn. And for our listeners, if you're not trusting people who continue to change, update their point of view because they learned more, that is risky. So let's go into the third. I want to make sure that we don't run out of time before we get to the end. More complex global system optimization. As we think about organizational resilience, geopolitical impacts, social justice impacts, we need to be looking at efficiency differently. So I think about my early consulting years, it was just-in-time and system optimization and Six Sigma. And now during times when we have more shocks to the system, Optimum may be less, quote, efficient because we're having supply chain shocks. And this holiday season is a good example. Distribution companies aren't able to manage the volume of shipping that's happening right now. It's
2: amazing, isn't it? I mean, you think about DoorDash... Food popping up at your door, boxes. I can't tell you on a daily basis how many boxes show up at my door. We don't do as much shopping out, even grocery shopping as much mm-hmm. as we used to. All of these things have the ability to come to your home. But what does that mean? It means you have to optimize systems of supply chain in order for that to happen. All of that's driven by technology, technology innovation. It's generating data, and mm-hmm. it's causing us to think not just about the outcome, of, you know whether it's financial or efficiency, but also productivity, quality, customer satisfaction and customer service, Mm -hmm. employee satisfaction and morale. All of these factors work together to, to contribute to organizational effectiveness and leaders have to be in tune with all the contributing factors to organizational effectiveness. And how they're changing. And how they're rapidly changing under changing circumstances.
1: As we think of organizational resilience and back to then human resilience and the sense of how belonging contributes to trust. So if I don't have a sense of belonging Trust goes down, employee engagement goes down, organizational resilience goes down. So, so it, it really is interconnected. And just the sense of what is appropriate in a business setting now, what do we share? That has changed to create a sense of belonging in a remote context.
2: Well, I know a lot of organizational leaders like myself have made an adaptation over the past few months during the pandemic to have more frequent assemblies of their employees, mm-hmm. to explain to them the signals that we perceive, to set expectations around efficiency and effectiveness that are changing, mm-hmm. rather than leave it to chance and ding a person for not performing in sort of this hyper-fast way because it's an, an unwritten rule or an expectation. I think that communication and engagement and sharing helps to build the trust, mm-hmm. helps to connect people to the purpose of what you're doing. And it gives them a sense that they're part of a larger group.
1: On that note, and specifically focused on speed, we're going to go on break. And the next trend we talk about after break is speed. I would encourage you as our listeners, while we are on break, how do these three trends impact you? So first is volatility. Second is erosion of trust in our institutions and in each other. And then the third is how do we optimize our global systems moving away from necessarily economic optimization to organizational resilience. We'll be right back.
0: Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today.
1: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Today, Dr. Christopher Washington and I are talking about leadership trends for 2021 and beyond. And the next trend, number four, is increased expectations to deliver results faster. One of the things I hear often now when talking to senior leaders is, we used to see a longer timeline to implement change. And when we had to send people home for the pandemic, we saw that people change incredibly quickly. And so now that's the expectation that we will continue to expect that rate of change. And my concern, again, talking about how humans change versus how machines change, is when we see the heroic change, we're implementing new algorithms and behaviors. We haven't necessarily fundamentally changed how we do the work, I'm just working from home because I think it's a two week deal,
2: Mm. not
1: because I'm gonna do my work differently. And Christopher talked about how do we navigate office spaces and make it comfortable for people to be engaged and productive, again, versus a fire drill.
2: Well, you know, there is an increased expectation of uh, delivering results faster. And I think this COVID time period really required that we shift how we do work and oftentimes shift systems. So I don't have the privilege of having my mailroom accessible. Mm -hmm. I've got to figure out how to do that from home
1: Mm -hmm. or at a
2: distance with my colleagues when that shift took place. So we're not talking about a shift in just my individual job. We're talking about a shift in organizational systems. And so the ability of leaders to understand all of the system components and how they can be accomplished from a distance was a challenge for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not only do you have to deal with that structural change, You have to make sure that people have the equipped to do it, and you have to deal with the social structure to support it. I set up a lot of teams, cross-functional teams that looked at the issues and the processes, and they worked Mm -hmm. together to figure out how we could do it in a different way.
1: And you were an institution that was already heavily online.
2: We were, but we relied on working in the office together. Mm-hmm. So that part of our work had to change. But we were very comfortable with shifting to teams looking at problems together mm-hmm. and figuring out how we could come up with alternative solutions. And that is the pivot. Yeah. The, it can cause stress. I saw one place that one report, I think it was on LinkedIn, that identified high levels of stress across most professions during this pandemic period. But you know who was top of the list? Educators. of educators experience some stress in the change of their work. Students, even more so than educators. So this shift in process and in work is not without its sort of mental health consequences.
1: Well, and I don't know that we're going to get into mental health today, but that's one of the areas that concerns me the most. Mental health is a major issue right now. We need to address the foundation to create personal resilience as a foundation for agility. So Washington Post, November 23rd of 20, so this is recent. Since coronavirus arrived, depression and anxiety in America have become rampant. Federal surveys show that 40% of Americans are now grappling with at least one mental illness or drug-related problem. Wow. Then young adults have been hit even harder than other age groups with 75% struggling. Even more alarming when the Center of Disease Control and Prevention recently asked young adults if they had thought about killing themselves in the last 30 days, one in four have.
2: Optimizing efficiency reaches a point. Right. Because at some point you have to deal with the human consequence of optimizing efficiency. Mm -hmm. And this, I think, is something that leaders today have to be mindful of. You know, we can push very hard require that people work under different circumstances, but those different circumstances also mean they're probably checking in on their kids who are studying at a table next to them, or dealing with a pet, or an ill parent. When you mix home and work life as much as we have in recent months, Mm -hmm. on top of a push for greater efficiencies,
1: it can be problematic. Well, especially if someone's home life isn't optimal. Many people go to work to exit a home life that isn't safe in some cases it's just unhappy and they're not equipped to navigate all of the childcare issues think of parents and I know you know this better than I who have young children and have to still go to work so who takes care of the kids I think you know as an educator universities
2: have to do a better job of training for resilience flexibility mm-hmm. adaptability I'm not mm-hmm. certain that we do a great job of that in our curriculum but it's these more effective skills
1: mm-hmm. that
2: make us distinctly yeah. human that we have to also consider if we're preparing people for the future. That's more volatile, complex, ambiguous, and uncertain.
1: So that's the perfect lead into to trend five, which is major shift in knowledge and skills required for both leaders and employees. And so you just hit hard on one of them, understanding personal resilience, organizational resilience – and the responsibility of the organization not to overstep into my personal life, but to create the environment in which I can thrive, which may be different because I don't have children than someone who has young kids who they're trying to homeschool to keep them, in many cases, because schools aren't open.
2: Well, you know, all of the themes and trends that we've identified require improved sense making. They Mm -hmm. require that we collaborate more effectively with other people, that we're more resilient, flexible, and stress tolerant. Mm -hmm. Those are factors we have to think about. In addition to all of the skill, technical skill proficiencies that are Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. required to be successful in a hyper-automated world where there's artificial intelligence and human-machine interactions, I mean, there are amazing reports out there by the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, the World Economic Forum, and the Institute for the Future that talks about these major skill gaps that are emerging that will have a very difficult time fulfilling the demand of these competencies and roles, such as data analysis analysis. We talked about big data and the increased amount of that, IT, mobile, web, supply chain, as we've discussed, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also marketing and customer service. All of these areas are changing. But on top of our technical proficiency to deal with these, we also need to tap into and educate people on aspects that make us distinctly human. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: especially after periods where we've been very comfortable and everything's been disrupted. How Mm -hmm. do we help people adapt?
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned the World Economic Forum and the the data about in the five-year period from 2018 to 2022, at least 54% of all employees will need reskilling and upskilling. And only 30% of those people are getting the skill shifts. And those are generally the people who are higher compensated. So the folks who have the least are, again, less likely to get retraining, and then they, in many cases, become unemployed.
2: You need a retraining plan. You need an upskilling plan for people. If you're sensitive to the needs mm-hmm. of your workforce, rather than laying people off, there are many other alternatives that require more active engagement by leaders in organizations today. Retraining, reskilling. There's job sharing. The job market is changing quite rapidly. And it's really imperative on us to think about what are the demands of the organization? How do we cover those responsibilities with our Mm -hmm. employees and what do we need to put in place to prepare them to do so?
1: The World Economic Forum talked a lot about public-private partnerships. What's the responsibility of the organization and what can they absorb? If you're a low margin just staying afloat, what you can do for your employees is limited.
2: I'm in I'm in an educational institution. I have to think about the needs of employers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. partnering with them to determine what they need in order for us to design learning experiences that help them our our graduates achieve that level of competency. It can't just be educational institutions. It can't just be employers. Has mm-hmm. to be the partnerships between the two. Has to be industry associations. Has to be government. Nonprofit organizations play an important role in education and mm-hmm. upscaling. No institution in society can do this alone, given the volume of people needed to have different skills to meet these needs.
1: Well, and this data was 2018 from the World Economic Forum. So it was pre-COVID when we were just looking at artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotic process automation. Now we're also looking at social justice issues, environmental issues, COVID-related issues all of the stuff we were looking at plus more.
2: I imagine the pandemic really amplified attention to many of these issues. I mean, you can't have an organization today and leave half your talent on the sideline. Mm -hmm. So diversity, equity and inclusion issues are becoming more prominent to enable inclusive excellence. How do we bring the best to the table to help us solve these problems? How do we fill these skill gaps and needs? How do we work together across borders to improve the human condition? you know, you have to be able to work with diverse groups of of individuals in order to make that happen.
1: Absolutely. And I'm thinking through kind of environmental, social governance, the ESG board certifications that are becoming more common, but not yet common. So we're not yet in many organizations from the top attending to DE&I and socially related issues. We're not yet attending to environmental impacts. We're not yet attending to building organizations where resilience is part of the governance structure. We have a lot of work to do. We do. (laughs) And the good news is we've got a lot of competent leaders who are able to do this. We just need to continue to move forward And energize people to make the shifts.
2: Well, I would agree. There are a broad range of issues that complicate the work of leaders today. But if you ignore these issues, you will likely not have the kind of workplace that can be most effective, most efficient, and or develop the kind of society that we all prefer.
1: Where more people have more opportunity. It's not a one percenter. It's certainly my goal is all people are able to thrive. That may be considered delusional by many, but... oh well, it's a worthy goal. <laughs> <laughs> all people have the opportunity to thrive and prosper. So trend six, need to increase personal agility in all facets of life. And Christopher, I think you've hit that as we hit every topic. We as individuals need to build our agility, even people who are resilient. There's just so much going on. We hit the topic of depression already. And what we didn't talk about is for people who are depressed, for people who are facing other mental illnesses, it's hard to be engaged. It's hard to trust your colleagues. It's hard to be innovative and creative because of the physiological condition. I can't be agile if my fundamental basic needs aren't being met, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And, you know, I, I wonder five years from now, Maureen, what kind of positions will be essential for the success of organizations Mm -hmm. will every organization have an organization and health and wellness person who can advise and coach people on you know how to overcome these challenges will will we be more sensitive as leaders to giving people opportunities to deal with different projects so they learn to be more adaptable and resilient give them a chance to work on new pilot programs and projects uh, with different parts of the organization How do we enable people to be more resilient through our work assignments, through the experiences we create for them? I think there's a real opportunity here for leaders.
1: I think there is as well. This moving into the fourth industrial revolution and the recognition that many of us still fall back in habit to what we grew up with that didn't look at the importance of Sustaining resilience for our workers, it was this is how we do things and more of a you follow direction than you engage people and it is now the responsibility of the leader in many cases to ensure their their workers, workforce, colleagues are treated like the precious humans they are, not like commodities. Yes, that's right. Well, when things are all
2: going smoothly, mm-hmm. you need managers. But when things change, you really do need leaders. And you need leaders that can provide guidance and support and direction to employees. And part of that is that reset for employees is a strong leader who can say, here's our new purpose. Mm -hmm. Here's our new picture of the outcome. Mm -hmm. Here's our plan of action. Here's the part for you to play. That's William Bridges, classic William Bridges, helping people through that transition from what was to what will be. And we need leaders during this time to coach resilience Mm -hmm. And help people see where they're going.
1: And the McKinsey work talked about, back to the new business models, a lot of that's new strategy and how we get the work done. And it appears that the breakdown is often with middle managers. Either they haven't gotten the communication or they're not communicating it or some of both. And then add to that the organizational exhaustion of what we expect of you to keep the ball rolling during challenging times and concurrently change the business
2: organizational exhaustion is real. I mean, the pandemic exhaustion is real. And we have to take into account that people can feel that. Mm -hmm. And what are the things that you do that give you a sense of stability, that give you a sense of release? Is it walking your dog? Is it communicating Mm -hmm. with your family members? It's not the time to sort of dig a hole and yeah. jump in it. We've got to figure out the things that make us human, make us interested and help us to adapt. And that's part of an individual's responsibility, but leaders can also help facilitate those kinds of discussions and considerations. And we have to. I would agree.
1: And would agree. yet each of us as leaders have our days where we want to dig a hole and crawl in.
2: Well, I told you I had a friend, he's uh he's an astronaut teacher and he, you know, I was in that pandemic panic mode. I was getting mm-hmm. tired, exhausted. I you know, help close down a college campus and, you know, there were mm-hmm. some other things that are going on. And he just tapped into my mindset and I was being more pessimistic. Mm-hmm. He said, you have to have an astronaut's mindset. You have to be more optimistic. See what what's interesting out the window that mm-hmm. you might take pictures of and mm-hmm. connect with people, connect with mission control, mm-hmm. your family, your 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 boss, your coworkers. And I think shifting to a more optimistic mindset was really helpful for me. Mm -hmm. I I think I'm more privileged that I can actually afford to say that. But at the same time, our mindsets can be leashes that sort of we're tied to that make it very difficult for us to deal with circumstances in front of us. There are alternative mindsets that we have control over that can help us move through this more effectively. And professionals maybe in the workforce who can coach us probably are ideal people to work with.
1: I think organizations, and you made this point earlier, if we look at who's gonna be on the team going forward, having people who help us, because I certainly didn't grow up with those skills. I've worked really hard to build them and I struggle. So someone who has no education in meditation or mindfulness or doesn't do regular workouts, doesn't eat healthy because your condition doesn't allow for it, all of those things adversely impact resilience? Well, we, we've we been taught reading, writing, and arithmetic. We need to
2: also be taught mm-hmm. resilience, flexibility, and agility. How about yeah. that?
1: <laughs> this sounds like your next program. So let's go on to the last trend. More freedom to work from where you want and less privacy. So if we looked at the continuum of freedom and privacy, we have moved for many people to more freedom, less privacy on all levels so how are you seeing that
2: that's a tough one because you have to define freedom what that really means and here we really are talking about working from home for Mm -hmm. some people that's not a free environment so that's a real challenge but according to the stanford study 42 percent of americans are working from home now Mm -hmm. up to as many as 42 percent and you know 1.6 billion learners went from in the classroom to remote there are dramatic shifts in how we're actually doing things, and with that shift requires a rethinking about how you do it.
1: Well, and, and some of the things I've seen, senior executives saying, I don't trust my people, and they're looking at the tools that monitor keyboards and take pictures of what their people are doing, a screen capture the screens. I think there are some education programs that are doing similar things. That, for many people, feels like a violation of privacy.
2: Yeah, we, we have to find a way to assure accountability without giving the impression that we don't trust you. Mm-hmm. That is the challenge for leaders today.
1: Well, because, again, back to if you're teaching your kids at home, you may put in your 8 or 10 or 16 hours a day, but it may not be synchronous from 8 to whatever. It's going to be disrupted and in different chunks. And for many organizations, that's sufficient. Not everyone is is in a role where they need to be at their laptop all day long.
2: That's right. Well, you know, I have to, I have to convey an important message of trust to my team. Mm-hmm. I trust you. Now, I also need to know that you're doing your work. So, I need yeah. to see the result of that. I mm-hmm. don't necessarily know. Need to know that at eight o'clock in the morning you were doing X, Y, or Z. I mm-hmm. don't care. What yeah. I really do care about is, you know, have you produced the results that we need in order for our organization to be effective.
1: And. We hope that that is the mindset of more people. At least I hope that personally. And I understand that people who run companies need to make sure that they are getting the value that they're paying in salaries. Oh, absolutely. So it is not to diminish. The equation has to be fair on both sides. That's right. Well, I would agree. And employees who worked well in the office, most of them probably work well at home. Employees who didn't work well in the office probably don't work well at home. So if you trusted them to be sitting in the down the hall, trusting them at home is probably a reasonable starting point until we learn differently.
2: Maureen, I found that my my team actually is more productive right now. You know, having feel like they are working to prove themselves even more mm-hmm. as a result of working at home and mm-hmm. uh, feeling
1: an appreciation yeah. for having that flexibility that they have a steady paycheck, that they have the opportunity to work when some people don't, and work safely.
2: That's right. Yeah. I agree.
1: That bit of gratitude for where, what we do have. And on the days when we struggle, that's an important. It's a unique time in history, isn't it, Maureen? <laughs> it is. And for some listeners, it's been the worst experience of your life. And for others, it's been an opportunity to try out new skills and position yourself for the next opportunity that mm-hmm. could be intellectually rewarding and emotionally rewarding.
2: I have to remind some of my colleagues that we don't live at a time when there are mongrels coming at our village, mm-hmm. that we're not on the front line of World War One,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: with rifles, and that we're not on a slave ship or the Mayflower to get here, which are very <laughs> difficult circumstances. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we live in a pretty prosperous time, mm-hmm. although we are facing some unique once-in-a-lifetime challenges.
1: And that reframe can be helpful, although just like somebody who's drinking doesn't want to hear they've had too much to drink. No, no, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> hey! <laughs> Not always the right time to say it, but hopefully park that thought. So as we're wrapping up, Christopher, any closing thoughts for our listeners?
2: Well, I, I would just tell our listeners, those of you who lead teams and groups, uh, to never forget that others rely on your perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. They get
2: energy from you as a leader. They need your direction, guidance, support, feedback, and that your optimism helps to bring about a better state of affair your ability to make sense of the world and communicate that well to your team and your willingness to engage them is important these are conditions that i think to lead to lead to healthier and more well organizations during a time of dramatic disruption
1: thank you i don't think i can add much but certainly recounting optimism managing ourselves with grace and kindness Interacting with others with a a level of grace and curiosity when people do things that don't make sense to us. Again, we're working with them because we respect them in most cases. So they haven't suddenly lost brain cells, but they may be in a situation where they're struggling or we don't see the full picture. Just kindness and optimism and understanding the systems and being a perpetual learner will position us to thrive now and as we go forward and also giving ourselves space to be sad.
2: Yeah, sure. I, I really do hope these these themes that we've identified are prove helpful mm-hmm. for leaders that are working to make sense of what's going on mm-hmm. in our
1: world. The sense making is a big one. How do I interpret and continue to reinterpret and take that interpretation through my business model? That's right. Because running effective organizations, profit, nonprofit, and government, allows us to create the future that we want to see. We have a part in it. We do. All of us. All of you listening have a part in it. It's to be, it's up to me, up to us. <laughs> so I encourage everyone to continue to engage in the most constructive way you can to co create the future you want to see. Thank you for listening. This is Maureen Metcalf and Dr. Christopher Washington.